0: We've forged a relationship uh, with Slavic Gospel Association and with Eric Mock uh, that has endured the test of time. And uh, we praise God for Eric and for Christy. Where's Christy? She's right there, kind of in the middle uh, on the right side here. And um, if you missed Sunday school, you missed a real treat. Uh, But you'll get a little more of it today here in the worship service. Uh, If you don't know Eric Mock, I know many of you are new. You don't know Slavic Gospel Association, and that's okay. Uh, this is, uh, there, there are two um, mission agencies that we spend most of our uh, resources supporting, and one is um, sufficiency of scripture down in Uganda, and the other one, and really uh, the one that we, we pour more into than, than anything else, is Slavic Gospel Association and have for a very long time. Uh, Eric didn't desire as a, as a child to be a missionary, uh, he desired to be an astronaut. And he ended up uh, becoming a NASA engineer, worked on the space shuttle, worked on the International Space Station, spent a lot of time with the Russians, and God saved him in the middle of doing what he loved to do most, and called him to himself, and, uh, and put him on the mission field uh, throughout the lands of Russia, proclaiming the excellencies and the glory of Christ, and supporting the church, and training uh, national leaders to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And so uh, we're going to hear a little bit about that this morning. Mostly, we're going to hear from the Lord, from the Word of God. And so, Eric, would you come and preach the Word, brother?
1: Christ is risen. In Russia today, they're celebrating Easter. They are one week after us, and this is a, a special Sunday. We are gathered together for the singular reason that God before all time saw a singular means of salvation. That salvation is in Jesus Christ. It is in him alone. And by God's amazing grace, he did what no man could do. And he conquered death. And Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he's coming back one day. And I think it's going to be soon. And we are gathered together in a single heart, in a single mind, and a single purpose to proclaim Christ among the nations. Hallelujah. This is why we're here. If there's nothing more that you get out of this message, out of the word of God, that God is sovereign and that his purposes will continue on and he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and that we are a part of the amazing outpouring of his grace through the nations. It is his church, his people with his message among the nations and this morning I pray that our time together is a pleasing aroma unto God and I thank God. The Lord, uh, for the opportunity to be your friend and your family. What a joy it is to be with you today. I, I, it's almost nerve wracking for me to be here because this is like the the holy mountain for me. I, I'm I'm often scattered through the wilderness, but to come here is pretty profound for me. I want to thank you, Dan, for being such a faithful friend during so many years of uh, learning more about ministry. Your pastor has been used of God to equip uh, the churches in the former Soviet Union to rightly handle the Word of God. When he goes over and he's teaching, God uses him in a magnificent way to both present theology and practical experience. And so we're grateful that you send him to help us in equipping the pulpit to preach and teach the Word of God. My friends, as the church, as the pulpit goes, the church goes. And there's nothing more important than making sure that in the lands of Russia, we have men who can rightly teach and preach the Word of God. And your church is a part of that, both in supporting the schools that we're a part of, in in sending Dan and others over to teach and to train men to preach the Word of God. It is essential. And so I want to thank you with all of my hearts as well, Hearts, so there's no plural there, singular heart, with all of my heart. Uh, I'm, I'm jet lagged, so uh, if, if something looks odd, just tilt your, your head and I'll say, oh, that didn't come out right. And uh, I just want to really thank you. Your church has been faithfully involved with SGA. We have a, a broad breadth of 18 minist- ministries in 11 countries and including Israel, equipping the church for the work of ministry to take the gospel to their own people. And what a great privilege that is. Uh, In the midst of that, I I do not want to dwell on that, uh, because here we are uh, to worship our Lord. Here we are to talk about the grace of God. Here we are to talk about His means of salvation. And I want to walk you through a few things. And I hope what comes out of this message is that you are encouraged to be a vibrant witness for the gospel. Why? The Lord's coming again soon. And if you turn on the news and you look around yourself, you just wonder just how imminent his return might be. But let me, let me first uh, add on to what Dan said. When I left to be a missionary, uh, that was most, one of the most astounding things I ever did in my life. My dream from age seven was to be on the space program. I wanted to go to space. Uh, I had little astronaut toys. When I was in middle school, I was launching rockets. I was a science geek. In fact, when I met my wife, she had to help help me buy clothes so I wasn't so embarrassing when we dated. And, 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 and that was me. I was a big nerd, and I, I love science, and, and uh, it's wonderful. Uh, so when I left, uh, I was a part of a men's group, and that men's group came to me and they said, uh, we couldn't possibly do what you do. And I, I, I kind of thought about that, and I, I, I honestly couldn't understand that. He said, well, no, we've... We've got families to take care of, We uh, and I have three children at that time, and, and I still have three children. Uh, they're married, so now that makes six, so I'm doing math. That's good. Science, geek, math. And, and so we, uh, we talked about how finances and unknowns and, and families and jobs and careers and, uh, were, were so consuming, the guys could not visualize setting that aside and walking by faith to serve God uh, in another country. And the reason I felt that that was strange is I had the same concerns. I wanted to care for my family. I had to raise my children. I had to provide for them. But something had happened in my heart to where serving God was greater than serving self. And we made that decision to make that transition, and it always stuck in my mind. And it really, I want this to be something you think about today through the message. Very often, Whether we believe it or not, even as Christians, we can become very indifferent to the world around us. We can be so consumed with our daily life, even doing church, that we forget to be the church. We can be so focused on 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 getting through life, raising children, going to work, making enough money, paying the bills, uh, working through relationships, and and sometimes they're broken and sometimes they're great, but you're working through all these relationships. And just the cares of this world can be so consuming that we forget about the mission of God. And that's um, that's a reality in uh, the world that we live in. In fact, when the wall first went down in uh, what was known as the Soviet Union, the people were under years and years of atheism, where they were taught godlessness, and that that, that godlessness was, was prevalent, and hearts were broken, but when the wall went down, uh, they were eager for the things of God. They, they saw America as a place of wealth and a place of uh, spirituality, and they wanted what America had. And so they looked to the Western world and, and began to want everything Western, and they Would climb uh, they they would clamor around a person that was just given away two or three Bibles and there was this great spiritual climate and they wanted their Bibles and they wanted to know the things of God and people wanted to be preachers and they wanted to go out to villages and take the gospel and there was this great explosion of evangelism. Then in 1997 was a crash of uh, the Russian ruble and poverty came to Russia in in an overwhelming way. People lost their pensions, they lost their future. And by 2002, Vladimir Putin came along and uh, money started coming back into Russia. People started finding ways to work. And as they worked, and as they had their Starbucks, and as they had their uh, uh, their uh, smartphones, and they had their Kindles, and they had everything they need, they began to become self-sufficient. And they realized that they could have American capitalism and they didn't need God. And so now when you Uh, holding a Bible on the street, they have become indifferent to someone who is holding a Bible on the street. They're not interested in having a Bible. Maybe maybe, Many Russians have had multiple Bibles, and this indifference has consumed them. In fact, the believers of the day, one of the leaders, Nikolai Sinkovets, of, of the church there in Belarus said this, we thought we had more time. And it wasn't that the government is shutting them down per se, it is that the people have lost interest in the things of God. The hearts are full with self, and when the heart is full of self, it is only about self-preservation. And when self-preservation comes in, uh, you aren't interested in the one thing that can truly save you. Uh, You're interested in just getting through life. I want to make sure that you as a church do not drift into that mindset, that you as a church continue to be gospel-centered, that you as a church continue to be vibrant for the sake of Christ, because Judgment is coming. The end is coming, and even though it may not even be in our lifetime, and, and we, uh, we may experience the Lord calling us home much sooner than he comes to bring us all home, uh, we are faced with the reality that every moment we have is a gift from God. Every second we have is a sweet gift, and our days are numbered in the midst of those days. Are we going to squander those days on our own self-survival, or will we turn to the, to the Lord in prayer and say, here I am, Lord, use me. And let my voice and let my life and let my story be that which echoes throughout uh, the countries and proclaims Christ and him crucified, resurrected and coming again is my hope and, and have out of love have a desire to see others know him So I'm going to ask you uh, to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 24. It's not going to be a traditional Great Commission passage. Turn to Matthew uh, 24, verses 37 uh, to 39. And and as I say in my church, uh, we're going to do a little bit of Bible aerobics, and I hope that's okay. Uh, So uh, that also serves to keep you awake, and so we're going to venture to do that. And what I want to paint for you, regretfully, is a little bit of a dark cloth. Because often a diamond shines the brightest against the background of a dark cloth. So in your outline, in the bulletins, you'll see point number one is being the the offensive world. So let me read the first few words of this passage. For as it were in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage verse 38 is a picture of indifference it's very simple they're eating they were drinking they're marrying and given in marriage and we we see these words and they are not words of condemnation for uh, a, a sense of immorality that that jesus was pointing to what he was pointing to at that time is is clear indifference they were moving on with their lives uh, rather than being concerned about the things of god there was a, a lack of concern. In fact, Webster defines indifference as a lack of enthusiasm or apathy or a lack of interest. It is, it is this general disinterest in the things of God. And so what we see in this passage is just a simple statement that people tend to go on with their life without God. In this context, we see that it's, we, we could see a, a sense of reality for us all. We can see that people are going on. In fact, and I hear in this church, there are many more marriages going on than there may have been in the past, and I'm pretty excited about that. And, and uh, we've, since we first uh, met you, we didn't have grandchildren. Now we have grandchildren, and, and, and that's really, being a grandparent's really cool. And, and so we, we see all this, and we see that life is going on, and we get excited about it. And so, so Jesus is not calling out that standard, normal Life is a problem, but when getting through life becomes the priority of your life, in fact, getting through life is so consuming for you that you don't think of anything else. As my dear friend, Pastor Dan, often says, if we're willing to sin to get it and sin if we don't get it, we can turn even normal living into an idol. And we worship that idol of work, and we worship that idol of survival. We worship the idol of family. We worship that idol of sports. We we have all these different things, and they begin to consume our lives. And it's living in all these forms. And in themselves, they are not sinful. But it's what we turn them into. And this growing indifference we see in our country. Like this morning, uh, we saw another chemical attack in Syria. And they're trying to find out what happened in Syria, and and day after day we watch the news and we become indifferent or even numb to the violence that we see in the world, and we look at the world around us and we hear of the trials that are going on, and we look at our own lives and we become a little bit indifferent. I know that when I was younger I used to race home because Star Trek would be on our 13-inch black and white, and if I could get the rabbit ears just fine, uh, I would be able to watch Star Trek. and uh, with all the props that they had, and and that was all that was on my mind. And uh, I lived in a small village of 200 people, and and being outside and throwing each other down the hill and climbing trees was life. Now we've got the internet, and kids that used to be my age, six, seven years old, are even asked whether they want to be a boy or a girl. We have all these crazy thoughts coming into it, and I never had to wrestle with such things. And now we are becoming indifferent in Russia alone. Uh, the the abortion rate in Russia is six times higher than it is here. The suicide rate is twice as much. The murder rate is higher. Drinking among teens is the highest in the world. And we see a pervasive hopelessness where people have put all their hope into society and man and cannot find answers. So when we see this now, and let me draw you back to the text we see that Jesus is pointing back to an early age of indifference. He's pointing back to the days of Noah. So if I can ask you to hold your finger there in Matthew 24 and turn all the way back uh, to Genesis 6. And I hope you all know where Genesis is. Uh, and, and turn to Genesis 6 and just look at verses 5 through 7. And when you get there, I will, I will read them for you. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth and that every intention of his thoughts in his heart was only evil continually. And I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, by the way. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man who I've created on the face of the earth, man and animals and creeping things and birds of heaven, for I am sorry that I had made them. Verse 5, we see overwhelming words. Let me show you that where we see the word translated as every intention or evil continually is actually the same word. In the Hebrew, it's a word that speaks of the whole, the whole without exception. In other words, the heart of man during that day was a whole without exception, uh, always dwelling on wickedness and evil. In other words, there was no room in the heart for for love and uh, the type of love that God had talked about, the glory of God, or even thinking of anyone else. It was always evil. When it says there that uh, the wickedness of man was great in the earth, the word great is abundant, abounding, and even overflowing. So we see a time sitting in here where every thought of every man's heart was 100% without any pieces missing, wicked and sinful and overwhelmingly evil. And when we see the definition of evil, we see everything that is opposed to God. And so we see that their hearts and the inclination of their hearts was to live their lives completely indifferent to the things of God. There was nothing about God that was interesting to them. The only thing that was interesting to them was themselves. Self-love and evil and wickedness had taken root. And so Jesus is pointing back to a time in which it was a, a, a terribly uh, horrible time, and, 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 and we maybe have never seen anything like it, although I think we're getting really, really close. But every scheme, every plan... Every thought of every man's heart was wickedness. When you look just rightly before the passage into Genesis 6 2, we see this strange passage uh, that people have debated. This this passage where it says, The sons of God saw the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any that they choose. There's three main schools of thoughts uh, on who the sons of God are, but the Bible kind of speaks to that very clearly. there, there are likely fallen angels and we don't know how this happened, but we we see this picture of, of the creation of some strange large people called the the Nephilim and and there was just wickedness and, and ugliness and and it, it is pronounced and, and and God grieved when he saw that. Now some people translate that, that grief is repent. And we know that God doesn't repent. And if you need a reference for that, it's Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. So this picture that we have is not that God was surprised by the wickedness, but God, when he looked upon the wickedness, was grieved in his heart on what had become of man. When we go back to Genesis 1.27, we see that man was created in the image of God and, and, and told to go forth and multiply. And what is he multiplying? He's multiplying the image of God so the image of God would bring God more glory. In Genesis 3, we see Adam and Eve shift from bringing God glory to taking glory upon themselves. In fact, the temptation that the most captivated Eve was that she would be wise, and she would be in many ways like God, and, and in many ways we still are captivated by that same sin. There really is nothing new under the sun where we chase our own desires and fill our heart with our own sense of, of, of avarice and conquest, and that always plays out in a, in a sinful expression. And Paul writes in Romans 128 to 32, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what not ought to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, and to you kids, uh, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous degree, uh, the, that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. When we see this, we see an ugliness that Paul writes about that is pervasive and is not uh, located only in the days of Noah, but continued on in the days of Christ and continue on. Now, what do we see in Romans 3.10? We see no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one, this is key, no one seeks after God. You see, when your heart becomes indifferent to the things of of God, you you become consumed with the things of this world and very often much like the the Pharisee and the tax collector we can find ourselves giving ourselves a pass and looking upon the wicked world and say at least we're not doing that but we can get so caught up in the mundane things of life that we forget about honoring God with our life we get so consumed with the things of this world we forget about the reality of judgment and the ones that are most close to us the ones that most matter to us, and even the people on the other side of the world who desperately need to hear the gospel, we feel like we don't have any time. You know, I'm just too busy, and when I get home, I'm too tired to read the Word of God. I'm too tired to pray. I've got so many things going on, I'm sure God's going to understand, and we have this litany of excuses. We live in a world that is completely and entirely unsettled and unhinged. If you're not sure, turn on the TV, or stream the internet, and you'll hear what's going on, and people are indifferent to incredible immorality, and wars, and rumors of wars. Matthew 24. Now you can flip back to Matthew. Hold your place in Genesis 6. We're going to come back. We're going to go bounce back and forth. So Matthew 24, 6 through 10 is this, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars and see that you're not alarmed for this must take place and the the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places all these are but the beginning of birth pains they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my sake and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and also in there is that their love will run cold my friends, there are more Christians now being martyred for their faith than any time in the history of the church. We see people, whole people groups who, who have followed after Christ that are being systematically killed. We see this on TV. We see this in in. Uh, in a different form in our neighborhoods. We see this in our schools. We see this in our own country. We see this overseas, and the world has become an increasingly unsettled and hostile place to the gospel. Some of this flows from other religions. Some of this flows from other peoples. There's this sense that it is dark, and in the same way, in the days of Noah, Christ is taking these simple words in verse 38 and he's pointing back to the days of Noah, which is similar to the days now, which is similar to the days of Jesus. This time in which every intent of the heart was self. Every intent was sin and there weren't any pieces left out. It is this horrendous indifference. So let me state this. When every aspect of the heart is evil, hope doesn't come from humanity. Again, if you turn on the TV or you search out the internet, everyone is seeking world peace. Everyone is coming up with systematic ways uh, in, in finding hope. There's government legislation, there are social programs, there are many things out there where man tries to engineer hope. But hope Apart from God is no hope. Hope is this gift of grace from God in Jesus Christ the answer to the nations, the answer to the political systems, the answer to the crimes we see today, the, the answer to the wars upon wars and the rumors that we hear and the destruction and the breakup of the family unit and the confusion that we see today, even the challenge in redefining immorality in our country, the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's coming again. And so we have this ridiculous message in number two in your outline. We know that Christ is the answer. We know the answer of hope is from God. So here is this absolutely ridiculous message. So I want you to look at Matthew 24, just 38b, which is just that little in there. And you might look at it and you say, "Wow, how are you getting all this out of a few words where it says this until the day when Noah entered the ark? This is outlandish. God's solution for Noah was a big wooden boat. The solution would have been laughable to the people of the time. So let's go back to Genesis 6. Keep your place in Matthew 24. Let's go back to Genesis 6. So uh, every aspect of the people's heart is evil. We got that part. Very dark. Dark now. Dark days of Jesus. uh, Dark back then. And so here is Noah, a man uh, of... who is following after God, and read in verses 13 and 14. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. Pretty bad judgment. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them. And then, Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Outrageous. It was likely a climate in that particular time where they had never seen a flood. They may not have even seen a thunderstorm. Uh, they had probably not seen a large bodies of water. And, and God is looking upon the earth, and the solution comes to Noah, build a big boat. Now, the people that lived in the day were likely looking at Noah saying, look at this crackpot he's building a boat and he says he's close to god i bet he's really close to god you know he's losing his mind who in all humanity would have said build a big boat because there's a flood coming there was no context to understand this there would have been no understanding from noah lord you're asking me to build a big boat can you imagine if you were noah's children And you were there at middle school. If they had, let's pretend they had a little middle school. And you were the kid in school that had the dad that was building the big boat to nowhere. And, oh, by the way, he was preaching about the righteousness of God. And remember, all intents of the heart were evil. There was no room for God. And the guys out there building the boat. In fact, most of the old pictures of the time show that uh, it would have been laughable. And imagine Noah, who is being told this is how your family will be saved. How did he respond? You're welcome to turn there, but, but, but hold on. You probably don't have enough fingers. So let me, let me just read this to you. He responded first in obedience. It didn't matter what God's means was. It mattered that God said this is how he was going to do it. And Noah responded in obedience. What do we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7? By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed the ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. In a world of indifference, indif- Noah likely heard a message that was completely odd to him, completely foreign, completely outrageous. But if God said, go do it, he would go do it. And he was a man who proceeded in reverent fear. This was not like spooky fear. This is understanding that the God was high and sovereign and above all, and he respected God, and he understood God, and he humbled himself before God. So if God said a flood was coming, and you're going to need an ark, he said, yes, sir, I don't understand it in this world, and I can't see the supernatural things that you're doing, but if you said it, I believe it, and this is what I'm going to do. And he set his heart to doing it. Can you imagine building an ark for, some people argue, ever. 100 or 120 days, the way you want to read this, uh, can you imagine at least for 100 days, 100 days of building a huge ark, day after day, do you think Noah struggled sometimes? Do you think he had doubt some days when he was struggling? But it says here, in reverent fear he built. But there's a second piece to Noah's life. It's found in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. It says, but but God preserved Noah a herald of righteousness with seven others and he brought a flood upon a world of ungodly. He preached for likely more than a hundred years and the church never grew. He was building a boat. He was proclaiming judgment was coming. He was calling a people to righteousness day after day after day. And the hearts of all the men were wicked, and the men and the women were wicked, and it was a wicked time, and they didn't, they didn't care. But he knew what God told him to do. There were two things. God told him, go do this, and he was obedient, and God said, go say this. And Noah proclaimed a gospel. Noah proclaimed that the flood was coming, and this ark was a means of salvation, turn to God and be saved. These are my words, not direct words from the Bible, and my paraphrase. And the answer was from the people: laughter. So let me tell you about a man. I sorry, I was I was hoping to show a picture. I want to tell you about a man named Valeri. Valeri had been uh, he had been a believer for three years, and he was about to get married. Is there anyone here that's engaged? Oh. Th- outstanding outstanding okay so you're you're going to be my you're going to be my case here so Valeri had been a believer for three years and his wife had been a believer for one year and they had decided that the minute they got married that they wanted to be used greatly of God and And they wanted to go into the mission field in a sense that they were already Russians, they were living in Soviet times, and they wanted to be used of God. They saw that every intent of the hearts of men was evil, and they had to go out and declare the means of salvation that everyone in their country was totally against. So he and his fiance got together, and they got an old coffee can. And inside this coffee can—yeah, it looks like I'm preaching to you, I'm sorry— I um, uh, got a coffee can, and there were the pl- all these different places they could go, and they crinkled it up really tight, and they poured this into the coffee can, and they shook it, and Valerius says, well, I'm the man, I'm going to pick first. And so he reaches into the can, and he pulls out one of the locations, and he unfurls it, and it says, Yakutsk. And his wife said, or his wife-to-be said, no, no, I don't think so. And so she took that piece of paper out of his hand, and they crinkled it all up, and they put it back in the can. They shook the can, and she reached in and pulled it out, and the paper said, (laughs) Yakutsk. So in 1984, she had only been a believer for one year. When they got married, they packed up their clothing and all that they owned, and they moved to a forgotten village of absolute destruction outside the city of Yakutsk. Where it was 50 below zero, there were zero believers. There were two Christians that showed up in a gulag, and they ministered to these gulags and the gulag, to these Christians. They were there from 1984 to 1991, and during that time, they had no Christian fellowship, no support system. Their relatives wrote to them constantly, please give up this craziness and come back to the comfort of home. They continued there, and the wall went down, and in 1991, the first four believers, the first four believers came to faith in that region the size of India with one million people. The first four believers in 1991 came to faith. One of them, a young man who's now a good friend of mine, who is now the leader of all the churches there at age 14, three of them, drunken, abused women who had just were on the edge of wanting to take their lives, they came to faith. These women and this 14-year-old boy became the evangelistic team. They bought an, an old Russian Lauda, which is like the worst car you could possibly found. They were holding it together with wire and, and tape. And they drove over 1,000 kilometers up and down a river in the middle of blowing snow and went village to village to village, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Valeri is still there. There's only 800 believers And there's now 22 churches because God moved the heart of a man who had only been a believer for three years and his wife, who had only been a believer for one year, to move to a God-forsaken place for a singular reason that this region had never heard the gospel. And if they didn't go, who would? And so in the middle of this terrible backdrop of, of, of absolute darkness and absolute godlessness, God had a means of salvation. He had an ark, and he called that ark Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ is hope alone, and the flood of judgment is coming, and he raised up a, a man and a woman of no account who moved to a God-forsaken place, and they began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they didn't just sit in their house and try to survive in Yakuts They bought a broken-down car with all the money they could save, and they had no money at all. And they, they had a 14-year-old who, when he became 16, became pastor of the first church because there was no one else, all you 16-year-olds. There was no one else, and he learned to preach every Sunday. And actually, I'm trying to get Dan to come out because we're now training he and the first generation of believers in Yakutsk, the Bible. This is amazing. I want you to think about this. First generation of believers in a land the size of India, they're still planting churches, and they want to know what a church looks like. And we have the chance today to equip them to preach and teach the word. And, and uh, Alexander Karikov from Almaty was the first one to teach hermeneutics there. And this young man came running, running up to me last Sunday. He says, Pastor, he says, guess what? I think I know what I'm preaching now. (laughs) He says, I don't want to know what I was preaching before. So Matthew 24, 13, we see Jesus say, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And it's not about us enduring under our own power. It is about the grace of God being on those who endure and that the ones who endure to the end are the ones who are saved. How beautiful it is to see the feet of those who preach the good news. And the ones that are set apart, the the ones like you, the ones like you who are called to, to preach the good news, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. This is how the Apostle Paul responded. The Apostle Paul responded and said this, for me to live Christ, to die gain. He saw nothing else that mattered. He looked upon the trials of his life. We see this in Philippians chapter 3. The trials of his life, as well as the successes of his life, as a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he wiped it all away and said, nothing compares to the pearl of greatest price. Nothing compares to that that hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. Nothing, not even my own life, because to lose my life is gain. So whatever the world can do to you, that's okay, because what is to come is significantly better. So for us to spend our life clinging to the things of this earth is to waste our life. So in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 22 to 24, we read Paul telling the Corinthian church that it had become more humanistic, more syncretistic, and they had brought the practices of, of pagan uh, polytheism into the church and uh, it was crazy tongue speak it was it's not a charismatic gift it was gentile babbling that they had brought from the from the practices of their temples and brought it into the church and paul's trying to bring them a corrective and we see in first corinthians chapter one there are people of paul people of apollos people of cephas people of jesus and the the church was divided and they were following after humans. If you want to know what that looks like, go to Genesis 11, and Nimrod's there, and people are building monuments to humanity. And we do that today, by the way, even in ministry. We build monuments to humanity when God says, go forth and multiply, and we seem to have that backwards. And and this is what Paul wrote. He said, the Jews demand signs, the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The religious experts of the day even would say that the idea of the resurrection is foolishness. The people in this world would dismiss Christ as being nothing more than a wonderful man who has great traits to follow. None of these are true. None of these are true because God has defined salvation and there is salvation in no one else but Jesus. We see an assault on to Christian faith today, we see the utter wickedness of the hearts of men, but God has not forgotten us. He is building his church, and his church are those that are redeemed by his hand through the amazing grace of God in Christ Jesus. So you ask yourself, you have to ask, if you knew the flood was coming, you knew the flood was coming and you knew God's means of salvation, would you tell someone else? What were you doing when you were 23 years old? Some of you are younger, so you're saying, I don't know. Uh, But for those that are over 23, what were you doing? And for you that are under 23, what are you doing with your life right now? I want to tell you about a young man in Ukraine, because you're probably aware in the news that there's incredible military conflict that's going on in what's known as the Donbas, or the eastern part of Ukraine. In there, there are villages that are really considered dead villages, uh, the artillery fire and the gunfire continues with unabated in the middle of the world saying this is a Minsk uh, accord line, a peace line. There are people dying every day in the middle of a military conflict. And in that, there are villages. And in the villages are the, the remains of churches, churches where people have fled, but some remain and actually churches where they're growing. And there's one such church in a, in a location I can't mention, but in that particular location in the line of fire... Uh, was a group of believers who were gathered together with no pastor, no shepherd to lead the, lo- the, the youth, no one to work with them. A 23-year-old man, and I'm going to keep the name to myself, the 23-year-old man who uh, I've got a picture of, and I'll show you him later, he looked out there and he said, who will go? I will go. 23 years old, making a decision whether he wanted to go to college or He wanted to go into the line of fire to take the gospel and to shepherd the flock. He made a decision with his friend. And so when I walked up to the church, his friend with a big smile on his face and a giant bucket of chicken soup was running out of the front door of a church that's in the line of fire. And I said, what are you doing? And they had this whole beat up car and they were going out and put a bucket of soup in the back of the car. They said there were a lot of seniors all over the village that had nowhere to go and nothing to eat. And so every day in the church, they make a giant jug of soup, and they go out every day at lunch, and they feed everyone in the village. And the young man who I'm telling you about, who has not gone to Bible college yet, he has not received training, although we're hoping to give him training. That's one of the things we do. And through SGA, we're supporting this young man, but not because of us. He went into the line of fire because he heard there was People there that needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people there that needed to be edified and strengthened uh, in the Word of God. And now he's their youth leader and he's the pastor. And he knows he's too young in his heart. He knows he's too young of a guy to be the pastor. He's still trying to figure out life, but he does the best that he can and he's ministering to him. And he and his friend are making a difference. And so I ask you, what what are you doing with your life? This guy put on hold anything else that was going in his life and he ran into the line of fire. And he's just a young kid. When I snapped a picture of him in the van, he actually didn't like it uh, and, and sent me one on Instagram that he liked better. That's typical of a young guy, right? We're all a bunch of posers. I, <laughs> selfies, right? I, I couldn't believe it. But he says, here, you can, you can show him this one. So I do have that one when you want to see it. So here's this young guy. He's 23, and he's checking out how he looks on Instagram. And, and then he's out there in the middle of machine gun fire preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? He didn't care about the rest of the world. He cared that those people needed the gospel at age 23, and he ran into the line of fire. So number three in your outline, Matthew 24, 39. Sorry, I was checking the clock. Matthew 24, 39 says this, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. My friends, judgment is coming. Whether the Lord takes us home soon or later, the reality is that we will all stand before God one day. And none of us, no, not one of us can stand if it were not for the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And on that day, by God's grace, my Redeemer will stand with me on that day. And with my eyes, like Job, I will see him. And what a day that will be. But until he brings me home, we have work to do. We have work to do. We can't just attend church. We need to be the church. Judgment is coming, and it's coming again soon. And God has raised you up to be his ambassadors to the nations. You may not realize it, but you're making a profound impact all over the world. You may not realize it, but in your your daily prayers and in your daily giving, when you're making a difference, you are supporting People like this young man in Ukraine that I spend time with, you're supporting a Pastor Valeri, who's out there in Yakutsk. You're supporting the training. You're sending your pastor. You're a part of what God is doing around the world. My friends, do not go quietly into the night. Do not allow the cares of this world to move you to indifference. Instead, let them move your heart to a sense of urgency. and they were indifferent. In the Greek, it says uh, not knowing. In ESV, it says unaware. This is, this is not that they didn't hear Noah preaching. It is that this increasing sense of indifference was that they heard the message of the gospel, and it really just didn't matter to them because they were looking for life on earth. We even see um, confused forms of theology that 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 point us towards heaven on earth. We see a lot of confusion in that regard. That somehow uh, God's plan, uh, his messianic plan, is to restore the kingdom of David on earth, and our hopes and answers are here on earth, but the earth is passing away. That would be a fleeting hope at best. So let me make this a little more personal for you. Imagine that you're Noah. I bet you he's got a pretty big family. People argue whether his children had children during those hundred years, and uh, there's the, the Bible doesn't speak heavily about that before the flood. But let's imagine, even uh, I, I tend to think after a hundred years, his kids probably had kids and grandkids, and if not, his relatives had kids and grandkids. Can you imagine for a hundred years preaching a call of impending judgment and your family members blew you off that they didn't turn to the gospel can you imagine the pain that noah felt as that door was sealed up and he could hear the voices outside crying and said we believe you now but the waters came when we see this passage where jesus says they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving a marriage Until the end came, so it will be with the Son of Man. What we are seeing is this crack of a a warning shot across the bow, reminding us that the end is coming soon. And heaven forbid that we become so indifferent, so complacent, that there are people we know that we don't have the time to share the gospel with. Heaven forbid that we hear their voices standing before the throne of God and saying, I have no defense. I wish someone would have told me about the gospel of Jesus Christ. My friends, we can't let that happen. Now, in the city of Fort Worth, you don't know everyone. You probably will not meet everyone. It's a little bigger than your church. But the truth is, God has raised you up uh, to be his ambassadors to this nation. Often in Christianity, we take our salvation, we put it in our pocket like a get-out-of-hell-free card. Now, by the way, the Pope was wrong. There, there is a hell. Uh, don't trust the Pope for your theology, okay? And I know it's streaming, so I'm okay with that. Um, what, we, what we need to understand is that when we put the gospel, our salvation, in our pocket, we become just as indifferent as anyone else. And we save ourselves and we love ourselves, but we fail to love people as Christ loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. My friends, when we are called to be Christians, little Christ, or followers of Christ, we're called to live as Jesus lives. Matthew 24, 42-44, therefore stay awake for you do not know the day your Lord is coming. But know this, if a master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into therefore you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect therefore in the same way there's this sense of urgency and Noah during those 100 years had a sense of urgency he knew the flood was coming he knew judgment was coming and he's known as an obedient herald of righteousness so should Calvary Bible Church Calvary Bible Church should be a collection of individuals who are set aside on the mission for the Lord Jesus Christ, who are proclaiming the gospel to all who they meet with love and the word of God. Matthew 24, 14, we're still sitting in Matthew 24, it says this, the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. For some people, they will read these words and come up with a a systematic methodology to reach all people groups and feel somehow if they get the gospel to all people groups, they're going to push God to come sooner. Uh, The Father knows the time of his coming. God is sovereign. He knows. And personally, I hope he delays a little more. And the reason I ask that, I know people who are unbelievers. And, And I want to see them come to faith. Do you have people in your life who are not believers? Do you have uh, young children still that have not made a profession of faith? I say, Lord, tarry just a little bit longer. I want my grandchildren to be saved. And then, well, that's a different discussion on age and all that. Uh, But do you know people that you ache for that have not made a profession of faith? My friends, I know people on the other side of the world who have never heard the gospel in Yakutsk 20 miles away from Yakutsk some a two-hour drive have never heard of heaven never heard of God never heard of hope Christy and I were on a train and two young girls came to us because they heard us speak in English and they said is there really a heaven is there really a God they had no idea There are villages now waiting to hear the gospel, and you're a part of this. You're a part of the gospel going forward. I want to tell you about Mirza, who was actually a drug addict in Yakutsk. He had come to faith, and much like the demoniac that you see in Mark chapter 5, he had come to faith, and his answer was, how am I used of God? And he moved to a village in northern Kazakhstan that time had forgotten. When the Soviet Union collapsed, it used to be A place where people went for recreation and it crashed and no one went there anymore and i was going there and we were in a little van and a man asked me why are you going to this village no one goes here no one cares about us and i went there in the middle of the village and there was mirza a recovering drug addict he was living in a house with no running water no indoor plumbing in the sink to wash the dishes it was an upside down soda bottle And you tap the bottom of the cap to let the water come down it was cut on the top and you pour water in it the outhouse it was very cold outside and the outhouse was 300 feet off in the distance and you had to walk through the snow to get to the outhouse i slept on the floor very rough surroundings i asked mirza you used to live in yakutsk and you came here and you live in utter poverty why and he took me out to the edge of his property and the snow was on the ground, but I noticed that it was clean and flat. He says, well, let me tell you, my friend. He says, if I take an hour to drive into the city for work, and I work there for eight hours, and I take an hour to drive back, he says, that's 10 hours of the day that I'm wasting on myself, and I'm not taking the gospel to this forgotten village. He says, instead, I have plowed the land around my house, and I have planted a garden. It's enough to feed my wife. And it's enough to feed 15 families. So every day during the spring, I take food to 15 to 20 families. And I make sure they have enough food to get through the day. And he says, Eric, he says, I moved here because no one else came. And these people have never heard the gospel. And so we set out from there and we went to home after home. uh, One young lady who was uh, a prostitute, one, one man who was a drug addict. And, 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 and they were hearing the gospel for the first time and said, uh, this man brings me food. His name is Mirza. And he brings me food and he treats me like a real person. And I'm hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And no one else cared about me but this man. So if God can use a drug addict with no money to move to a forgotten village, uh, to proclaim the gospel to a forgotten people, could he use you to talk to your neighbor? Could he use you? This is, I'm not talking poverty or a, a vow of poverty. Could he use you in the grocery store when that person is hanging their head in despair and needs the message of truth? Could he use you in a profound way to impact the nation's? which we're having a partnership in doing, could he send people from your tur- church to teach pastors the gospel and, and how to preach the Bible so that they could, they could go out among the nations and plant more churches? Could he use you for this end? I say that he can, and he is. And you need to know this. First Thessalonians 5, 1 through 10. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. They will not escape. But you are not in the darkness, brothers, for that day to take you by surprise like a thief. For you are all children of the light and children of the day, and we are not of the night and of the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do. Add the word indifference, apathy. But let us keep awake and be sober for those who sleep and sleep at night and those who get drunk or drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for the helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are asleep or awake, we might live with him. Let us not be a people who say there is peace, there is security. Let us be a people that say the flood is coming, judgment is coming. Therefore, repent and believe in Jesus Christ, for the kingdom is at hand. Let this be a church that declares Jesus Christ and him crucified at all times, in all places, and let you be a people of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And together, with Christy and I being the tip of your spear in in supporting churches all over the lands of Russia, in the lands of Israel, may we see the gospel ring among the nations, and let it begin with you, and let it be a consuming matter of your heart. May God bless you, challenge you, and exhort you to be urgent in getting the gospel to the nations. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing grace, for you have poured out mercy on us that we did not deserve. You have given us life when we deserve death. You have given us a new name when we deserve rejection. Father, if there is anyone here who is not in a relationship with you, I pray, Father, that they would turn to you in faith today, that they would lay down the worldly life that they're living and turn to you in faith and know that when they stand before you one day, they can stand it in confidence, knowing that Christ is their Redeemer. And Father, for those who are here today who know you well, Lord, encourage their heart to be bold. Encourage their heart to have a sense of urgency, to tear down the walls of apathy and complacency and proclaim your name to all that they know. Oh, Father, we thank you for this morning and may you be glorified in your church. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing Hymn 379.